Welcome to Bedtime History. Good evening, this is Breck. I want to start off by giving a shout out to our newest donors, Annie, Thomas, and Will Nichols, Stella Rose from Los Angeles, Cecilia in New Orleans, and Nancy and her students at Cochise College Adult Education. Thank you so much for donating. That's now five new donors on our way to 10 total new donors to achieve a bonus episode. Five more and we'll be there. I thought another fun and easy way to do another bonus episode would be to get to 1,000 ratings on Apple Podcasts. Right now we're at 700 ratings, so that's only 300 more, which I think our fans could do really easy. So parents, it's super simple if you're using an iPhone. Just go to the main podcast page and scroll way, way down to the bottom until you see the stars. Tap them to leave a rating. And while you're there, you can leave a review, too. I read all of the reviews and appreciate all of the kind and encouraging words. Also, I thought it'd be fun to do shout-outs for a few random reviewers a week. Just leave your first name and where you're from, and we'll feature some of these on our future episodes. Just be sure to leave your last name off for privacy. So once we hit 1,000 ratings, we'll be sure to do an additional bonus episode, and I'll report on it each week. Now on to our episode... All the way back in the 1500s, explorers were trying to find a faster way to get from Europe to East Asia. Columbus thought he'd found a way when he ran into the Americas, but it turns out you have to go all the way around the American continent in order to travel from Europe to Asia. But if you look at the American continent, you'll realize there's a very skinny section of land near the middle, which came to be known as the Isthmus of Panama. That's what an isthmus is a skinny section of land. Explorers thought if they could find a river going from the east side of America to the west, that's another way they could get through America without having to sail all the way around the bottom at modern-day Argentina and Chile. To find a route like this would save many, many days at sea. But unfortunately, no such easy route was found. The isthmus had many mountains and thick jungles, so ships would have to continue sailing all the way around the bottom of the American continent. Another idea to get from the east side of America to the west would be to build a canal. A canal is a man-made passage through land that has to be dug out. You may have canals near your home, but this would be a much bigger canal. One such canal had been dug in Egypt to connect the Mediterranean to the Indian Ocean, It was a huge effort and took 10 years, but the engineer who made it possible thought he might do the same in Panama. His name was Count Ferdinand von Lesseps. He and his team traveled to Panama and started preparing to dig, but soon realized how difficult it would be. First of all, the stretch of land from east to west is 50 miles long, which is very long. Can you imagine digging a 50-mile-long canal? But the biggest problem was the continuous rain, and worst of all, the mosquitoes. Have you ever been bitten by a mosquito? It's annoying and a little painful, right? Well, that was only half the problem with the mosquitoes in Panama. The real problem is that they carry diseases such as malaria and yellow fever. So with the rain causing mudslides and the mosquitoes spreading diseases, Ferdinand did not see a way that a sea-level canal could be built. So there are two types of canals they could build. A sea-level canal, where they dug all the way down to sea level. That means the point where the sea meets the land. The other option is a lock canal. A lock canal is pretty amazing, and we'll talk about it in a minute. Ferdinand believed they could still build it using a lock canal, but unfortunately the people paying for the canal changed their mind 
and in 1888, he and his team had to return back to France. Next, the United States and President Teddy Roosevelt started to take interest in the construction of a canal across the isthmus. At this time, the United States was beginning to grow in influence, and Roosevelt saw this as a way to do something big and amazing and to make it much faster to ship goods between the east and west coast of the country. Many businesses were also interested in making the canal work. In 1902, the United States paid $40 million to take over what the French had started, but their plans were cut short when the Colombian government decided not to let them build the canal. As you can imagine, Teddy Roosevelt and the businesses backing him up were not happy. At the same time, Panamanians who lived in the area wanted to break away from Colombia. The company behind the building of the canal was called the Panama Canal Company, and they definitely helped the rebellion along to make sure the new government would let them build the canal. So they, with the support of President Roosevelt and the U.S. military, helped the rebels defeat the Colombian army so they could have their own country, which would become Panama. One example of what they did is the U.S. sent a warship to make sure the Colombians did not win. With Panama in control over the land where the canal would be built, the U.S. then bought the land from Panama for $10 million, in addition to paying them $250,000 a year. This was called the Hay Bono Varia Treaty, after the U.S. Secretary of State, John Hay. The treaty was a big success for the United States, but afterward had the people of Panama wondering if they should have given it up so easily because it was valuable land and they were giving it up to a different country. Immediately, the Panama Canal Company got to work, yet again trying to construct a sea-level canal. Apparently, they didn't learn from the mistakes of France and ran into many of the same problems, such as diseases spread by the mosquitoes. In 1905, an engineer named John Stevens took over the project. He decided to hire workers from West India. He ordered new equipment and devised better ways to use the railroad to cart off all the dirt. He saw the same problems as the French with rain and landslides and decided a lock canal would be the best way to do it. He convinced President Roosevelt to use a lock canal instead. The amazing thing about a lock canal is that it doesn't require a canal to be dug all the way down to the sea level. Instead, it lifts the boats up over the land as the water rises. This can be hard to describe using words alone, so be sure to check out a video about it afterward. But picture a huge ship moving between the different areas of the canal, and gates on each section of the canal and water being flooded into each new area so that the boat is lifted high enough to move it into the new section. It's a pretty amazing feat of engineering, but it was going to be the best way to make the Panama Canal work. The other problem that needed to be solved was removing the mosquitoes so people stopped dying from malaria and yellow fever. Dr. William Gorgas realized that it was the mosquitoes that were carrying the diseases, so he undertook a huge effort to eliminate mosquitoes in the area. He cleaned out pools of water where mosquitoes bred and used chemicals to remove them from people's homes. Yellow fever ended entirely, and after this effort, very few people contracted malaria. In 1906, a new engineer, Lieutenant Colonel George Washington Gothels, was running the Panama Canal Project. One of the most difficult areas of the canal digging was the Culebra Cut, a large mountain range that would need to be dug away. 
Can you imagine that? Digging away a mountain? The workers used dynamite to blast away at the rocks, and this work became extremely dangerous as explosions caused landslides. But most days, 6,000 workers were busy digging and blasting away at the mountain to clear the nine miles of mountain range. Fortunately, they had some of the newest equipment for excavating, such as enormous steam-powered cranes, steam shovels, hydraulic rock crushers, and pneumatic power drills. Without these updated technologies, building the canal would have taken much longer. Another important part of constructing the Panama Canal was using the Gatun Lake to fill the locks. Remember, in order to move the ship up through the locks, it had to be filled with water. That would require a lot of water. To do this, they would open a canal to the lake and let gravity pull the water into the lock and lift the ship. One of the reasons they had to blast their way through the mountain range was to get access to the Gatun Lake. One of the final projects building the canal was constructing the locks, which involved pouring concrete and building the gates. Each of the three sets of locks were 110 feet wide by 1,000 feet long. It would take eight minutes for each lock to fill with water to raise it or lower it to the height it needs to move the ship through the canal, and eight to ten hours to move through the entire canal from ocean to ocean. That might seem like a lot of hours to you, but then remember that it shortened the trip from New York to San Francisco by 8,000 miles and 67 days. That's a major improvement. In 1913, two steam shovels digging from opposite directions met in the middle and completed the canal. And in October, the president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, sent a telegram giving the final orders to explode the Gamboa Dyke, which flooded the dry canals to allow ships to pass through. The Panama Canal officially opened on August 15, 1914. It cost nearly $350 million to build and was the most expensive construction project in United States history up to that point. Around 56,000 workers were involved in its construction, and around 5,600 lost their lives due to the dangerous circumstances. Later in 1977, President Jimmy Carter turned full control of the canal over to the Panama Canal Authority and the Panamanian government. Around 14,000 ships now pass through the Panama Canal every year, saving them thousands of miles if they had to go around the end of South America. And of course it costs to take a ship through the canal, on average $150,000, which makes sense because most of them are transporting goods to sail, and it saves them lots of money for the shortcut. The most expensive ship to go through the Panama Canal was $450,000 due to its size, and the lowest toll paid was $0.36 cents by a man named Richard Halliburton who wanted to swim through the canals. Of course, anyone can visit the canal today by cruise ship. I hope you enjoyed learning about the Panama Canal too. I'm just amazed by the people who designed it and built it, and today we have their sacrifices to be grateful for.